0: Not even Hawaii, not even on a beach in the Bahamas. I would rather be right here in Austin, Texas, Hello, Texas, uh, on Saturday. Mo- what is this? Sunday morning, July 26th. Hey, and even if I'm lying, please forgive me. I-, I might rather be in Hawaii, but I'd like to have all of you there with me. We could be just doing this on the beach. Uh, but anyway, we'll have to plan that. A whole church trip, getaway to Hawaii in on one of these Sundays, and everybody goes. Wouldn't that be awesome? All right, now I've lost you completely. You're like, really? Can we do that? Um, we just pray, and we'll do a send offering, like one big send offering. It'll cost like $450,000, and we'll all go together to Africa or, or, or uh, wherever. Anyway, um, hey, let's, uh, let's ask you to turn your Bibles to James chapter 3. As we're starting, continuing the series straight out of the book of James, I am loving this. I hope you're loving it as much as I am. This has been uh, one of the most kind of refreshing things that I've been a part of in a long time, uh, because we are just encouraging you. to to saturate yourself in the Word of God, just to spend time weekly, daily, I should say, over just a particular passage of Scripture. This past week, uh, last Sunday, we could go today, I encourage you, if you could just spend a little bit of time each day of this past week reading chapter 3, just read it through, uh, it would help to be able to prepare and open our hearts for what God wants to say, not only this morning, but hopefully if you've done this, you've already been challenged some throughout the week. You've already had God kind of stir your heart. And so I want to read f- together. We'll read the whole, the whole chapter, James chapter 3. And uh, let's just begin reading, and we'll come back and, and talk about it as we go. Is that cool? So it says, verse 1, Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants them to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body. But it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? ...neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition... There you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure. Then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. There's a lot in there, isn't there? That's good stuff. And one thing before we get into uh, the, the rest of the passage today or talk through that, I'd like you, if you have your Bibles also, to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. Because this is an important sort of introduction to what we're asking God to do every week, but especially today. One of the things, while you're turning there, I'm going to begin reading at verse number 12. But Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, uh, is where we'll get in a second. But I'll tell you, I've mentioned each week in this series that there's a very uh, powerful underlying truth to this book of James. And it is this. When God begins to deal with our hearts... It is oftentimes that we think first about how that relates to someone else that we know. For example, when we talk about, if if the Bible were to talk about, you know, honesty, uh, then rather than us examining our hearts to say, am I honest, we might hear it or, or think of it through the lens of, yeah, I've been hurt by people who were dishonest. And dishonesty is wrong and honesty is good. If we think about uh, offenses, you know, we may not first, we read a passage on offenses. We may not first think of who have I offended. But we will relate to it from the standpoint of who has offended me. And who should hear this? We joke about it sometimes that anytime uh, I talk about marriage or parent-child relationships or things that are family-oriented in nature, when you hear that, you automatically hear, not if you're a husband, not, the, not the part to the husband, but you hear the part that replies to the wife. And you go, man, uh, I, I, would, I would give her an elbow, but that would be detrimental to my health. And so I'll just pray and hope that she's listening. Lord, help her to hear what, what, what Pastor just said to her. And, and we don't realize what he was saying to us. And so that danger is always there. That possibility to be deceived even by our own hearts is always there. Which is why in this book, it's so cool that right from the very beginning in chapter 1, there are three warnings throughout that first chapter. Don't deceive yourselves. And I said that week, and I think I've said it every week, that there wouldn't be a warning like that unless there was a possibility that it could actually happen. We read the word... And if we're not careful, first of all, reading the Word is, the, is a, a great step in the right direction. I would rather that all of us are in the Bible reading it daily than not reading it. Amen? Yeah. So even though we're reading it, though, that doesn't guarantee that we will actually understand what it's saying to us. Chapter 1, again, talks about this mirror, uh, the, the, the metaphor it uses of a mirror, that you look in the mirror and you see your reflection. And it encourages us to look intently into the mirror and to continue doing it so that we'll be saved and blessed. And so so with that in mind, Hebrews chapter 4, this is something I've been praying over today all week. And I share it with you a few verses here in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. And it says, the word of God is living and active. The word of God is living. This is not just a book. It is a living book. Not because of its leather binding or, or if you have a hardback or if you have it on your phone or your device where you can flip through or scroll through and you go, oh, well, you know, it's just a, it's just a phone or it's just an iPad or it's just a book. Years ago when I was in Bible college, uh, one of the first days we went into a class, in order to shock us, a pastor, I mean, the, the professor that was there, he was doing a Bible study and he said, how many of you know what this is? And we all, you know, on cue, we said, well, it's the Bible And what else is it called? He said, the word of God, you know. And so with that, without any further ado, he took his Bible, and there was a trash can over in the corner, and he just sailed it across the room, and it landed in the trash can. And all of us just froze. I mean, there was this gasp. Like, what class did we just enroll for? And I'm not suggesting that you do that. I don't do that. I like my Bible, and I care for it. But the point he was trying to make was... That, yeah, this is a book, but this book by itself is just a book. It's not holy. It, it by itself does nothing for you if you just honor it and put it on your shelf and treat it like it's some sort of an object of worship. That you, what he was saying is, many of you are more offended or shocked by the fact that I took a book and threw it across the room into the trash can than you are by the fact that it stays the same book, although not damaged by the trash, still sits on your nightstand unopened for weeks at a time, or on your coffee table, or in your car, and you don't seem to regard that it gets neglected, but you do take it personally personally. When it gets hurt or thrown or, or mistreated, right? Powerful. Again, I don't do that, but it stuck with me all these years. I thought, man, what a powerful thought that this book is just a book unless I read it. But when I read it, it becomes more than a book. It becomes alive because the God who inspired its writing actually has something to say to me. So let me just read it again, this, this next verse. The word of the Lord is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Now, when I read this, and I read it often, it's one of my favorite little mini passages, because it reminds me that as I read the Bible, I'm inviting God's presence to come and to examine my heart, to, as it uses words like, penetrate and divide, and and, uh, it says here, to judge the thoughts and attitudes of the heart, to make everything uncovered, to lay it bare. You'll remember that if you. If you read in Genesis, you'll know that before there was ever sin that entered into the heart of of humankind through Adam and Eve's disobedience, that these individuals were naked before God. The Bible says that God created them, and they were perfect, and they were whole, and they were holy, and as they interacted with the Lord, there was no shame. There was no covering over their bodies. But as soon as they sinned, they had this instinctive nature that said, I need to cover something up. I need to try to physically and we go, "Well, why did they cover up just their their private parts?" as we would it, That's really not the point. The point is they had to cover themselves because they suddenly felt vulnerable. They felt ashamed. They felt that that which was was previously open and bare before the living God now had to be covered up. And not only that, but they went and hid somewhere, didn't they? So the point that Adam uh, God God goes looking for Adam and calls for him and says, "Hey Adam, where are you?" And Adam's first response when he comes out of hiding says, "Lord, I was afraid of you." Interesting, that sin creates in us all of these these defilements that make us want to cover up and make us want to hide and make us want to, to be away from God and to hide from him because we're afraid of him, because instinctively we know what is actually true. That is that God judges sin. Even though we may know that God is the God of love, something about sin causes us to have this nagging sense that maybe we've messed up. And maybe if there's a chance that our mess-ups are going to be judged by a holy, righteous God, then we want to kind of pull away from that. So here's how it looks for me. It makes me want to read less. It makes me, in my flesh, want to go, well, I don't really want to examine myself again today, Lord. I don't really want to go through that kind of soul-wrenching, gut-wrenching stuff. It's kind of hard because it brings to light all the things in my life that aren't right. And so... I'm just going to kind of avoid that. So you may miss a prayer time, miss a Bible study time. You might not allow it to still go as deeply in you because why? Why? Because we forget that the word of God is living and active. And it goes right into our hearts, penetrates our hearts, uncovers everything, lays everything bare. Wow. And then, here's the beauty. If you keep reading, it says that then, there's, we have a, a high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, and let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Verse 16 So let us approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So, my, my encouragement to you is this it's really simple. But as we begin to read and God begins to stir our hearts and open us up, then we can trust in the fact that, yes, he is the judge. Yes, he sees what is not pleasing to him in and, and, and our lives, but yet we have a, a, a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses because he was tempted like we are, yet he was without sin, so he maintains the moral high ground, the power uh, uh, given to him by God to forgive our sins so that, so that, so that we can find grace, and we can find mercy, and we can find help from the Lord. Now, if, that, if all of that taken together does anything, I hope what it does is this. It encourages you to go regularly and go faithfully and go with an open mind and open heart to the word of God. And then as you read, you say, Lord, I am inviting you. You are living, you are active, your word is alive, and I'm inviting you then to do a work in my life, to do surgery on me. Because the end result, Lord, is that I want to know that I can find grace and help from you and I can boldly approach your throne of grace. That the God who would otherwise judge me in my sin will in fact, because of my relationship coming to you with humility, according to your word, I can actually find grace and help. That's why instead of running to hide from you, I can boldly run to you and say, God, you know that I'm a liar. You know that I am sinful. You know that I have lustful thoughts. You know that I am judgmental. You know that I have favoritism in my heart. You know that I have a loose mouth. You know that I am a gossip. You know that I am materialistic and love things of the world. You say, do all of those apply to you? (laughs) Well, maybe they apply to all of us. Maybe one or two of those jump out. But when you come before the Lord, you can say, God, you know me. And so I'm boldly coming to you saying, "Will you have mercy and grace for me. And he does. This is so real and so true and so good. And so, so let's read. James, again, let's go back into this because my, my prayer for you is the same as it is for me. My, this is my prayer. And I've said it every week of this series, and I try to say it as often as I can in my own private time. Lord, as you reveal stuff to me, would you teach me stuff about me? See, one temptation for pastors and church leaders and anyone who teaches or, or you know, Bible study groups, you know, even parents Parents who want to raise up your kids in the way that they should go may have this tendency sometimes to go to the Bible to try to find stuff that you can share so that your kids will grow up right. Or or you're like, i got to address this problem with my kid. Oh, i got to teach them a little bit more about respect or honor. i got to teach them. And so I'll go to the Bible trying to say, where, where can I find that verse? Where can I find that thing? So I can teach them and straighten them out and use them and discipline them. And we try to figure out how we can get the Bible to give us the ammunition we need to use it on whatever it is that we're fighting against or whoever it is that we're fighting against. And in fact, the real goal should be to go to the Word first and say, okay, Lord, here I go. Here goes nothing. Let's start. See, it it dawned on me this morning during our prayer time here before the service we were just praying for this moment, praying for this day, and praying that God's word would, occur, would, would, would accomplish its purpose. And the thing that struck me the most was, was this concept of surgery. I mentioned it a moment ago. But what a surgeon does is a surgeon takes his scalpel to whatever part of the body it is, and in order to get inside to take out the cancer or the growth or fix the problem or heal the heart or, or, or whatever it is that the purpose of the surgery is, he has to first wound you, cut you, lay you open, so that he can, with his skillful hands, do something that will ultimately lead to your health. Maybe even save your life. And so we don't get mad at the surgeon that he cut us. In fact, we go, man, I'm so glad I have one of those kind of surgeons that cuts me open and does inside what I'm You know, I'm, I'm glad I have got one of those surgeons. Instead of the, the kind of surgeon that goes, man, I would love to get in there and fix that, but I can't, I can't cut. What, what, I what can I do? We're like, no, we want you to do the kind of surgery that has no cutting. Right? This is what happens. With God's word, he enables us to open our lives before him and say, would you cut me? And would you take out and clean up and heal and address and convict of and draw my attention to those things that need your mercy and your grace to take out and to deal with? And so that's what we're doing. So we, so we pray and we come. And so today in James chapter 3 There's a lot to be said about the tongue. Really, this whole chapter is divided up into two parts, that which talks about specifically the tongue, taming the tongue, and the latter part, which talks about two different kinds of wisdom. I'm not going to take time today to walk through the wisdom part of it, but I hope that you read it and it challenged you some, or you'll read it today, that there's two kinds of wisdom in the world, and wisdom that seems to be wise, but actually is foolishness in God's sight, and then there's godly wisdom, and so you can read about that. But in the time that we have, I just want to focus on the tongue. The tongue is one of the most powerful forces on the earth. It is. It has great power. It it has, and we're gonna talk about this real quickly, but it has the power to direct, and it has the power to destroy, and it has the power to delight. And and these three these three ideas come from this passage, but when you read it, there's a a great book that I've used some as a study guide to this, and it's by Warren Wearsby, and it's talking about the study of the book of James. And he actually recognizes these three things. So I'm using kind of his points here to remind us that it's so simple to see what the, what the tongue is capable of doing. When it says here it, is, it has the power to direct, look at the, these verses where it talks about how that in verse 3 it says, we put bits into the mouths of horses and we can make them turn. We, we take a, a great ship and the ship itself is a massive ship that's very powerful and yet we can steer it even in great storms and great uh, forces. But it takes a little bitty part, essentially a small part in the grand scheme of things is this rudder. And the rudder will determine and and direct the course of where it will go. And so like a horse or like a ship, he's saying the tongue itself is a small thing, but it has great power to direct. To to direct the course of your day, to direct the course of your family, to to direct the course of your whole spiritual journey. Like the tongue is powerful. And here's the deal. Part of it is that the tongue, like anything, a, a small thing can overcome opposing forces. Like a horse, when you break in a horse, it, you're overcoming its wild nature by just a bit, the small thing that you put in its mouth. You're, you're, you're allowing the ship to overtake the winds and that would drive it off course or whatever just because of the rudder, and it's small, but it can direct the course that it takes. It also can, can be... You know, When you're talking about directing something, it's going to take a strong hand. It's going to take some kind of control. The, the, the rider of the horse has to know which way to direct it. The, sa- the captain of the ship has to know how to control the rudder. And in the same way, we have to know how to control our tongue. These things have great power. They have great impact. A horse, if it runs away, can wound someone, injure someone. A ship, if it were to run aground, could cause injury or death to many right? And the tongue, if it's not bridled in and its power isn't constrained, then it can do great damage. You know, I've used this example before and it doesn't quite apply here, but it's just such a cool story that if if you were to, to take, there, there, the sin that we sometimes think is that whatever I'm doing has to be a big, horrible sin in order to have big, horrible consequences. But the The mistake about that is that actually what determines how bad something is, is not always what the severity of the act is itself, but it's about who it's done against. So I've used this example before in a different context, but basically, if you were to walk up to a buddy of yours, and I don't know, on some strange kind of dare, he didn't see it coming, and you just slapped him in the face... He would be really mad about that he would probably try to punch you back but then you guys might even laugh about it if you're those kind of friends that be like dude what are you doing And you're like i don't know i just like slapping you right that's a weird kind of dynamic i don't know if your friends slap each other but that's fine you could do that and it would have a weird sort of a consequence but nothing big but if but if you get pulled over by one of hutto's finest a police officer and they come to your car and they say sir would you please step out of the vehicle uh you were speeding and you step out and you say hey officer and he looks around and you slap him in the face what happens probably is you 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 uh well first of all you'll realize you just slapped a police officer. You'll, you'll probably be constrained. You'll, at the very least, you're going to be arrested probably for assaulting an officer, right? Still bad, but not, I mean, it's worse than hitting your friend, right? But then on the third thing, if you were to walk up somehow, you had an opportunity to be in a place where the president of the United States is, and you're in a receiving line, and, or he is, and you're going through, and all these people are going through, and you get to the president, and you go, Mr. President, I've always wanted to do this. And you slap him in the face. You immediately go to jail You probably go to prison. Who knows? You're probably declared a a terrorist. Who knows what happens, right? But there are great consequences for slapping the president of the United States. So it's the same action, a slap. To your friend, it gets you maybe slapped back. To an officer, it gets you maybe arrested. To the president, you're in big trouble. So what matters is not the offense itself because it's the same slap, but it's who you did it against. You following me. And so here's what happens. When we're talking about our, our words and our tongue you understand that there is great power in the tongue. You and I might think, well, there's really no consequence to what I'm saying because I'm just between friends or I'm talking to my mom or talking to my kids or talking to my buddy. But listen, understanding this, there is power in it that whatever your relationship is with those who, you're, who are hearing you speak, there is varying degrees of significance that your tongue can have upon them. For example, if a judge, if a judge in a courtroom says simple words, he can say guilty one word. Or he can say, not guilty. Two words. He has the power with that difference of one word, guilty or not guilty, to determine the whole course of life for whoever it is that's standing in front of him. The President of the United States, with a few words, can, can send this country into war. Or cause consequences that would reap international effects. Just by the way he, because he's such a a prominent figure globally, that whatever he says matters. Now listen, if you're a parent, whatever you say to your kids has great impact. Maybe it's not going to send them to to prison, guilty or not guilty. Maybe it's not going to send them to war. But it will have an impact on their soul, on their nature, on their character, on their future. Your words matter. When When someone has trusted you with the ability to speak into their lives... Like a mentor, or a coach, or a teacher, or an, a gr- an uncle, or a big brother, big sister. When someone has given you opportunity to speak into their lives, what you say matters more than the person who's just on the street randomly shouting out things to someone who has no relationship. And so what we're trying to say is there is great power to direct the lives of people and your own life through the tongue. Well, let's go on. The power to destroy. He moves right from this, these, and I love this, the, the book of James has these great, Uh, images, they're so easy to follow. You know, we understand uh, directing a horse and a ship with a rudder. And so then he talks about the tongue as a fire. The analogy of fire, it can become with, it, it, it can begin with a small spark. In this area, we know about forest fire, don't we? In recent history because of Bastrop and obviously other places, but we know what it's like to see incredible devastation. I I had a chance, uh, not long ago, I was coming back from College Station. I don't normally go that direction through Bastrop, but I was coming back, and I drove back through some areas in broad daylight that had been destroyed by the fire, you know, years ago, and I was still taken back by by how much devastation there is on, on hillsides as far as you can see, this, this still black, charred earth, tree, tree uh, uh, whatever they are. What are they called? Tree uh, trunks that are just standing straight up with no foliage, no branches, no nothing. Just looks like a bunch of toothpicks standing straight into the air. Uh, and and all of that was set on fire by a spark somewhere somehow, and the damage was out of control. It has the ability to to tear up and to destroy everything. And he's saying, hey, the tongue has the ability, like a like a spark, to set a whole forest on fire. And it says that it corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself. Set on fire by hell. It's so crazy to think. I, I have said this from time to time, but our family, when I was a freshman in high school, had a fire in our home, and uh, I've told that story in other contexts. But it was it was a crazy day in February of that year to come home, and and our home was on fire on a on a Friday afternoon or something. And so I remember that there was there was all this all this shock and all this stuff, and the the whole house didn't burn to the ground, but a, a good portion of the front part of the house was destroyed by the flames themselves. But what I noticed was after the fire was put out and everything was all the, everybody was gone and we were able to re-enter the home to walk around and see how that everything in it by, by the heat and by, I mean, there were places where inside of drawers, inside of drawers and closets that were, with doors that were closed and everywhere that you could look, you could lift up something and underneath it was still soot and smoke. Like everything in the house was destroyed and all of that by a small spark that something started that spread and destroyed everything. See, we have that power in our tongue to do that kind of utter damage. You might be walking here today or listening here today and you're thinking, I had people speak things into my life that hurt me and that wounded me and I remember to this day what it was like to have those things done and said over me. You still have the damage, words spoken over you or directed at you, the way they hurt you. Well, we have to understand that that is uh, the, the tongue is a powerful thing that can that can direct the course of life and it can destroy, but here's the, the coolest part of it is that it has the power to delight also. I love how he uses these analogies of a fountain he says a, a fountain the same thing can't come salt water uh, fresh water can't come out of a salt spring and he talks about trees that a tree uh, uh, read it here he says that a uh, a fig tree can't bear olives and a grape tree can't bear fruit. We understand that what he's saying here is that there is there's there is life in the tongue, life that, that can direct and give hope to, pe- to people. It can bear fruit. So the question that we ask when we read something like that is, if water is life-giving, then is, is my tongue life-giving? If water refreshes, does my tongue refresh those that hear me? If water cleanses, does my tongue have the ability to cleanse and to help people? See, the most important thing about a tree is its root system, and a root goes down to the ground where there's what? Water. Because water allows it to get the life it needs to bear the fruit that it needs. i got to share with you one one of my favorite little verses about the tongue and about speech comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 and 30. I hope you'll kind of make a note of that because it's just a great small statement. But it says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen and do not grieve the spirit of God I don't know where this thought came to my mind but for years I've thought about this one attitude or one 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 kind of dynamic of that statement where it says don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths We, we get that right don't say bad stuff clean up your language with God's help don't let any unwholesome talk in that that same passage it talks about you know profanity and coarse joking and things that just would, would tear people down and things that would be on that borderline. And so, you know, you might say, well, what, what kind of words are okay for me? It, that's a funny con- conversation to have maybe for another day. But when you have kids, you find out really quick that your kids, you, you teach your kids what good words are and what g- good words aren't. And it's funny when they start interacting with other kids and you start hearing what other kids say and what, it's just, it's just, a if you haven't had young kids in a while, you'll, you'll, uh, you had well, just go have some kids and you'll figure out what I'm talking about here. But anyway, here's what I like. In our house, we, when someone says the word stupid, well, the younger kids would say, oh, you said the S word. Now, if you're laughing, you may have a different S word in mind, but in our house, stupid is the S word. We, we, uh, we say bottom instead of uh, B-U double hockey sticks or whatever it is. But we, we say that, but other kids say it, and they're like, that's okay, no big deal. It's just so funny how that what's a word, what's a bad word, somebody else says, oh, I can't believe you said the S word. And we're thinking, in fact, one of the days, our, our, our daughters came and said, my friend said the S word, and we were ready to react. We said, what did they say? And you just kind of, just prepare yourself for the worst. And she said, they said stupid. And we go, "Whoo! thank goodness. All right. Oh, that yeah. S word, okay, well, no problem. And so, you know, now they get a little bit older, sometimes they see things in bathroom stalls. We have to explain, like, what words mean. And go, oh, we haven't really addressed that one with you, but that's a new one. And so, we understand that he's saying, hey, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. But also it says... But only what is helpful for building others up according to what they need. Like, are my words helpful? Do they add value to lives? You know, I heard somebody say one time, it's better, it's better to keep your mouth shut and have someone think you're a fool than to open your mouth and prove it. In other words, sometimes if we don't have something valuable to add to the conversation, to progress things forward, to add value and benefit those who are listening, he's saying, hey, maybe just keep your mouth shut for a while. And I take that personal. Anytime someone says keep your mouth shut, I think they're targeting me, and I'm offended by that. But the idea is that you you can actually say things that aren't helpful. Not only are they unwholesome, but they're not beneficial. And this is what I love the most. It says that it may benefit those who listen. Listen, I... I would like to ask, do we describe our talk as unwholesome or wholesome, as, as helpful or, or, or tearing people down, as beneficial to others' needs, but then it says that it may benefit those who listen. Do you, do you remember, some of you are, are old enough to remember when, uh, when three-way calling came into existence. Like when everybody had a home phone, we didn't have cell phones, we had a home phone. And you used to only be able to talk to one person at a time. You know, if I was talking to you at my house and you were talking on your house, then both of those lines were tied up. They were were busy signals for anyone else who was trying to call in. But somehow or another, the phone company came along with this idea that you could could three-way someone in. So you could say, hey, hey, hold on just a minute. And so you would click. And then you would, would call somebody else, and while it's ringing, you click back over, and now the two of you are inviting a third person in. You know what I'm talking about, right? Now you can do that on your cell phone. But there was a time that that was cutting-edge technology. Well, that happened during my teenage years, in case you're wondering how old I am. So I remember, I remember that immediately the greatest, most incredible use for that technology was to find out if a girl that you liked actually liked you. And so you would get another girl who was a friend of yours, and you would say, hey, can we find out if, if she, what she thinks about me? And so, you know, you, you would say, hey, oh, she's like, okay, I'll call her, I'll call her, I'll call her. And so they, I would, she'd get me on the phone I'd get her on the phone and then we, we'd click over the other person and when it's ringing, of course there was no caller ID, you didn't know who was on. The, and so she would say, hey, so uh, I was just thinking, you know, how was your day? And hey, so what do you think of David? And, and then with bated breath and fear and my stomach up in my throat, I would think, I wonder what's going to happen next. And if they said... Oh, he is, oh, he is a dream. He is so good Look at! Oh, he is so cute. He keeps me laughing. Oh, I love it. I wish he would sing to me every day. I love the way he, he makes the whole place. If that was it, then I was like, oh, great. She likes me. Of course, that never happened. What actually happened was they go, oh, I don't know. He's kind of weird. Or, I don't know. He needs to tuck his shirt in. Or, oh, I don't know. Man, what's up with that hair? And so I would hear things that would just make me go, oh. Why? Because she was saying the truth. To something that she didn't know I was listening. It's, it's like the, the earliest spy techniques for, for teenagers, right? This was, this was true espionage stuff. And so the, the test that's being put out for us is this. Is my speech before God of not only is it, is it wholesome and uplifting, but is it beneficial so that even people who might eavesdrop on me would benefit by listening? Like I'm all grown up now. But I every once in a while will still come across a conversation where I hear something that people don't know that I'm listening. Sometimes it's in my house between my kids, and those are fun. But sometimes it's a coworker or a peer or I hear something that's said either about me or about someone else, and and there's a there's a, a harmfulness and a hurtfulness there because they're saying what's truly in their hearts. They just don't know someone's listening. Maybe that's happened to you. And the idea would be what if, what if everything that I said no matter if I happen to know that someone was listening or not listening, That even in the context of my bedroom, even in the context of a boardroom, even in the context of what I think is a private phone call between me and a friend, that there would be nothing said that wouldn't actually benefit those who are listening, even when I don't know they're eavesdropping. How great would it be that you could share the gospel when someone's spying on you and you didn't even know you were doing it? How cool would it be when you could edify a brother when you didn't even know they were overhearing? How cool would it be that you could increase someone's faith and lift up the gospel and offer hope? Because your words are giving life even when you're not sure that someone's listening. That's the standard being set here. And he's saying, if that's the case, if the word of God in you is alive and working and moving and serving others, then what a blessing that you've caught on to that your speech is part of God's blessing to other people. Like I want to ask you this morning, if you'll stand to your feet with me. We're going to close this part of the service in prayer. But I just want to ask you again, would you ask the Lord today, God, would you allow my tongue, which I have a hard time controlling. This is a pretty safe option, safe question. I'm sure we can all respond. How many of you say, I have a hard time controlling my tongue sometimes? Leave it up. It's fine. It's therapeutic. If you don't have your hand up right now, we're going to wait until everybody put your hand up. I'm trying. You just need at least one time today to admit you did something wrong, folks. Come on. Now lean over and take that person's hand next to you and hold it in the air. I mean... We have a hard time controlling our tongue. You can put them down unless you feel really guilty, in which leave it up. Just leave it, leave it, leave it. Like, I I softened that question up quite a bit. I said, how many of you would say, I have sometimes have a little trouble controlling my tongue, in some cases, sometimes. I mean, we can at least all identify with that. Maybe we can go, you know what, honestly, like, all kidding aside, I I have a chronic problem. And I... You know what? Like I, I say a lot of stuff that I think no one's listening to, or I say things in privacy I wouldn't say to them. And the things I say add fuel to fires rather than water to fires. and Not only that, it may not even be about gossip or slander, but just about faith. Like you know what? Honestly, I'm. When things go bad, I, I my pessimism sets in my lack of faith doesn't add value or benefit it actually just makes things worse I I heard something this past week that I thought was so incredible it was talking about the difference between faith and fear I thought it was such a powerful statement it fits right here maybe your problem isn't gossip or slander maybe it's just fear but the statement I heard was that fear is contagious but faith isn't in other words, faith has to always be. Ide- faith can't really be spread from person to person to person to person. Faith has to always come from the Lord. That as God begins to stir your heart and He 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 creates faith inside of you, He'll give you a seed, a mustard seed sized faith. But it, it, your your faith has to be developed and strengthened, and only God can produce un- can produce belief. When your heart is unbelieving. That's faith that comes from the Lord. And it's hard for me to share with you my faith. Because at some point, it's only really my faith. And you can't get your faith from me. You have to get your faith from God. And maybe I can influence you a little bit. But ultimately, faith comes from Him. But fear. I can give you my fear. Quick. Think about how many times in Scripture where people started to do things for God, but fear set in and they backed off. Kings, leaders, prophets, prophets said oh no we can't one of the most incredible things read it this afternoon if you're interested in this numbers chapter 13 remember the number 13 if you forget like what was that again just think lucky unlucky number 13 or whatever and read in numbers 13 where the children of israel were going to go into the promised land they send 12 spies to, to to spy out the land they come back 10 of the 12 do not believe that they can do it two of the 12 do their names are joshua and caleb and, and even though Joshua and Caleb were shouting faith and shouting belief and shouting the name of the Lord and trying to encourage people to believe in God and believe in them and move forward, you had two of them, ten of the others. Not only were the ten have more in number, but their word, their, their message spread so fast that by the next morning it says, everyone in the whole nation was fearful, crying dangerous, they were weeping and wailing, trying to figure out, I mean, 2 verses 10, but the message of fear spread fast, you say, well, maybe some of us are re- recognizing, God, would you show me that I actually, I actually speak words that, that produce fear in others, hey, I don't know if it's going to work out, or hey, man, your marriage, or hey, your kid's never going to change, or hey, I don't know what's going to happen if you go broke, and, and all of the fear spreads, God is saying to you today, hey, do you recognize the power of your tongue? One of the beautiful things about a marriage is when a husband and wife hopefully are both serving the Lord, that there's an opportunity for when one of them is lacking in faith, the other one can give faith so that they're not both scared to death at the same time. That someone can say, no, 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 I know the circumstance is bad, but God is our Father and He is faithful and He'll provide. And so one of them can go, okay, all right, all right, all right, all right, check yourself. I got it. All right. So here's what I want us to do today. Ask yourself this question. Is my talk wholesome, helpful, beneficial, or is it destructive? Dangerous. And this is the verse I want to give to you and we're going to pray. It says, Psalm 19, 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. This is one of my favorite one-liner verses in my own personal life. And I say, Lord, let the, let the words of my mouth, which those are the things that are actually spoken. But how many of you know that before a word gets spoken, it's already Somewhere deep down inside. It's up in here or up in here. And so he's saying, let the words of my mouth and the very meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Would you invite the Lord to say, God, would you not only examine my tongue and help me, help me bridle, help me bridle the horse. Help me steer the rudder. Help me keep my mouth under control. But also, would, would you just fill me so much with your spirit that the words that I speak and meditations of my heart. Be acceptable, or that they could take a transcript. You know what court reporters do? They take a transcript. What would it be like if they could take a transcript of your words at the end of every day and let you read back over them? See, God keeps track of what you say, and His desire is that you would honor Him with those words. We're gonna pray and bow your head with me, and here's what we're gonna do today, as we often do. We're going to dismiss the service, but we're going to also give time for those that would like to come and stay a little longer and pray. I'd like the prayer team, if you're here, to come up to the front right now. Just move out from where you are and come. We're going to just invite the Lord's presence to, to personalize the message of this into our hearts. Maybe you have not confronted your tongue and asked for God's help, but know this. He is faithful, and He will allow you to sacrifice your own life, to die to yourself. Because he has already paid the price so that your mouth, your tongue can align to his lordship. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today and I, I believe that in this message there's so many takeaways and so many things. But I pray that you would personalize it in the heart of every one of us. We know that there is an opportunity here to worship and to seek your face. And daily to allow your spirit to, to do a surgery on us. Your word can surgically remove some of our fear and unbelief and critical spirit. And in fact, Lord, you can heal us with hope and love and the fruit of the Spirit that we might benefit those who listen. Lord, our whole lives are to be sharers of your gospel and reconcilers of people to you. So I pray today, speak to us about our tongue, not about someone else, but speak to us about us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Here's what we're gonna do. The worship team's gonna lead us. The song, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. And if you have a few moments, we invite you just to stay right here. If you need to get your kids or go on, you're welcome, you're you're blessed. This week, though, James chapter 4. Let's just keep reading. Read it every day, every day. And try to journal, if you can, soap and just let it get in your spirit more and more as you allow God to speak to you about you. Let's worship. I'm going to be right here. If you want to come and pray, come and pray.